Welcome to the CompTIA BizTech Podcast, where we talk with industry leaders across our communities and councils to discuss business challenges, opportunities, and strategies for success. Hello, and welcome to the CompTIA BizTech Podcast series brought to you by your CompTIA business and technology communities uh, from all around the world. I am Vice President of Member Communities, Gary Bixler, I am excited to be your host for this podcast series where each week uh, we join forces with one of our communities around the world and bring you hopefully a a really compelling and interesting topic. And I think this week is certainly uh, no exception. I'm very pleased to be joined by Adam Prue. Adam is the manager of our Canadian business technology community. Uh, Welcome, Adam. Thank you, Gary. Happy to be here. I'm happy to be here with you, and we always kind of kick things off between you and I, chatting a little sports, and as we sit here recording this podcast introduction, at least, uh, we are on the eve of the very first, or actually the day of the very first NFL uh, contest between uh, my local Houston Texans and uh, the reigning world champion, uh, Kansas City Chiefs, so it's exciting to have live sports, and in particular, uh, here in the U.S. to have live football back uh, in our lives. Um, so how, are, how how pumped are you for the NFL season here? I, I am pumped. Uh, as you know, I'm an NBA guy. I'm not, you know, sorry, Canadians that are listening. I'm not much of an NHL guy. I follow, but again, NBA, NFL are, are where my heart are. Um, I love what the NBA is doing, but I got to tell you, I, and I love that the Clippers are still in it, but I'm so pumped that NFL is back. It's, it's going to be so good. And I know, you know, they're going to only have a few folks in the, in the stands. It's not going to be a full crowd, which is, you know, hey, kudos to them for, you know, being safe. But um, I'm, I'm super pumped. I want to see what Mahomes is, is going to do as an encore this year. Yeah, don't we all? Don't we all? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the pinnacle, obviously, of sporting experience as a fan is, is being there live and, I think I've told you before, I'm actually going to get to go to a live football game uh, with my University of Texas Longhorns here this weekend, and I'm excited about that. What, um, what would you anticipate if you had to predict, what do you think the first live sporting event you will get to go to might be? Oh, boy. Um, I, I mean, it won't be until the next year for sure. Um, you know what? It's just a quick ride down to Buffalo. So uh, we can check out the Bills. Um, Hey, you know, I I am a Patriots fan more when Brady was on there. Again, I'm probably losing listeners the more I talk about being a Brady fan. But um, yeah, if I can catch if I can catch a Bills game, I'll root for whoever they're playing. (laughs) Yeah, well, hopefully uh, you'll be able to make it down for that. And yeah, I hope so. I tell you, um, the new Brady machine is sounding pretty potent. I think Tampa Bay may actually be pretty tough this year with him and Helm. So, Agreed. all right, well, enough of that nonsense. Uh, <laughs> as I said, uh, you know, your Canadian community is the sponsor of this week's uh, episode. episode. You've got a great guest, uh, again, kind of slanting towards some security issues and how, you know, some of our bad guys are taking advantage of the yeah. situation uh, to steal identities, to get in the middle of things they shouldn't be in the middle of, et cetera. And we're you know, battling back with, you know, leveraging some emerging technologies and some other things to try to stay kind of ahead of the game here. So why don't you tell us about your guest and what the session is going to be about? 
Absolutely. And this lines up right for cybersecurity month. So this is, this is a perfect time to do this. Um, but I actually had a conversation recently with Jeff Dolly. Jeff is the co-founder of Cybersecurity Compliance Corp. Um, and, and, you know, it, they address communication gaps in cybersecurity space. Uh, Jeff holds chartered professional account. He's got a ton of titles. But what's interesting about Jeff, actually, is he found a gap back, you know, it was like, 10 years ago where he was, he, you know, his biggest thing was every time he, pre, um, he presented to uh, executives and, you know, got very technical, you know, kind of got like a glazed look over the face and they, I mean, they don't talk the talk. So his big thing about co-founding his, his cybersecurity company was, I want to be able to communicate with the numbers, with the data, but do it in sort of layman's terms. So that's been sort of the foundation of cybersecurity compliance, which is, is completely fascinating. But um, Jeff and I, we chatted about cybersecurity, social engineering, um, things were happening in the news at that time, which was there was some Twitter attacks and some Twitter hacks. Um, but mostly the strategies, again, how you can apply them directly to mitigate your risk as, you know, as a company. And so obviously you're not taken for ransom or have to owe a bunch of money or, you know, the bad guys. So yeah, Jeff and I had a very interesting, uh, funny, funny conversation. I, I, I really think people are going to get a kick out of this one. So. Hope they Great. enjoy it. Well, let's uh, let's get started. Jeff is a, a fellow, fellow Canadian as well, so I'll turn it over to to you two crazy Canadians and uh, <laughs> you uh, take it away. Thank you, Gary. Hello, Jeff, and welcome to the BizTech Podcast. Thanks, Adam. How are you today? I am excellent. How are you, sir? I'm finding a way to keep busy. Believe it or not. Sure. I believe it. I absolutely believe it. Um, so, so as mentioned earlier um, uh, to the listeners, Jeff and I will be chatting today about cybersecurity, you know, social engineering, things happening in the news recently, and of course, strategies you can apply directly to help mitigate risks uh, from potential cyber attacks. Um, so just, you know, nice and easy to start off with, Jeff, uh, you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, it's always fun to tell the story. Um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm not a cybersecurity professional. I'm one of those rare birds uh, who came up through a different, uh, a different avenue to, to this wonderful space we call cybersecurity. I'm a career CFO. I have Canadian and U.S. credentials, U.K. credentials. Um, I actually got my first IT credential last year, which was fascinating. Okay. But through all of that, what I've become is a, a, a genuinely experienced risk manager and executive communicator. Um, accounting teaches fundamentals around using frameworks to assess and then communicate risk and, and address it and deal with it. So a couple of years ago, I, I had taken over an IT department. I had asked my IT department, hey, uh, how are we on cybersecurity? We're a cross-border lender. Tell me. I got three shrugs and uh, we're okay. <laughs> Okay. My jaw hit the tape. No, it was not atypical, to be honest with you. The challenge in smaller companies is finding expertise. So I set about working with a partner with a career in IT and security to develop something that would be accessible to everybody at a price point that they could manage. Okay. It was still framework based. And so frankly, I arrived uh, in this cybersecurity space from a governance risk and compliance perspective, which you know, people always talk about cybersecurity in, in, the, in the realm of technology, when the reality is it's not just a tech problem anymore, this is the biggest business risk facing companies today outside of COVID. And that's, that's 
pretty significant. 2020 is the first time that this tops the list of business risks outside of COVID. So uh, again, not, not traditional, but honest, honestly, that's where cybersecurity belongs in the risk conversation. Right, gotcha. And, and what I'm hearing is you're able, to, and you know, with the background you have, you're able to at least explain it, uh, explain explain cybersecurity in in you know terms everyone can understand, as opposed to you know maybe you get like a really technical person that is like, oh, you need this, this, and this, and you know the board. I'm not saying they don't know, but you know a lot of the cases, the board's like, uh, okay, sure, just make sure it's safe, kind of thing. Well, we hear this over and over from tech professionals and security professionals who, uh, you know, they get up on stage and they present what they've done with their boards. And it's this incredibly convoluted presentation, these slides that, you know, it, it looks like a bunch of drivers were, were given a stimulant and said, just race around this dirt track. And it's like unbelievable you can get a message across with that. It's perfectly technically valid, but it drives no alignment, lack of transparency. There's a real communication gap. So. Sure. Really, really clear. Yeah, my background is about communication. Accountants are trained to communicate in ways that that your average person can understand through a set of financial statements, and and that's that's prescribed. Frameworks are there for a reason. More people should use them. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so you mentioned the pandemic, and I and I, you know, I. I know a lot of us are probably, you know, sort of sick of talking about it, but it, but it's important and it's really changed a lot of the landscape. So, you know, uh, mentioning the pa- the pandemic and and the effect that it's had on the cybersecurity space, you know, cybersecurity experts, you know, they've seen a surge and this is just me doing my research here. There there's been a surge in online threats since the pandemic began because everyone had to on the drop of a dime sort of pivot and now work from home and everyone's just set up and you know doing doing the work from home thing. Um it was it was it was a, a recent Barracuda study where it reported you know sixty uh, sorry forty six percent of global businesses have encountered at least one cybersecurity scare since shifting to the remote you know uh, working model. I don't know if that's up or down or if that's good or bad. Um, with fifty one percent of businesses surveyed reporting an increase in email phishing attacks. So uh, you know it's it sort of forced cert, uh, security experts to change the way they implement cybersecurity what are some of these changes are, are, is it, is it like, what are companies doing now that they weren't doing pre COVID? Should they've been doing this all along? Right. Um, yeah. Interesting body of questions. So oh, yeah, I threw a whole bunch at you. <laughs> Sorry. A <laughs> couple of, th- couple of things to throw in. Yeah, let's unpack it. Um, Trend micro publishes stats uh, around threats periodically. Uh, I followed them earlier in the year. Um, it's been a couple of months since they updated, but it, just consider these numbers. COVID's only been around for half a year. The total number of spam messages related to COVID-19 recorded in Q1 was 907,000. There were 737 separate malware related to COVID. Uh, Okay, so so this is malware. Malware that is being distributed under a COVID banner. Uh, Malicious URLs, 48,000. Just February to March, 220 times increase in spam. Like these are numbers that are doing nothing but growing. So what I, what I told people, and, and Adam, you, you know this, we spent some time when this first happened talking to businesses uh, in the Durham region and then around the country, professional associations, about security from home, working from home and the risks and pitfalls. You get this perfect storm where you have people who are now removed from their work location, which was secure. Um, You had a desk and a machine on your desk. 
and walls to your cubicle and locks on the doors or coats. Mm -hmm. Now you're at home where you leave the door open when you take the dog for a walk. Now you're at home when your kids are fighting for your attention when the cat screams across your keyboard and you spill your coffee and you've hit that, that ransomware link in the email that was never an issue when you were in the office. Right. Huge problem. So you're not in the same environment. You're not naturally as vigilant. And through that chaos, you're also feeling emotional about the news around the virus and the shutdown and your economic status. You put all that into a pot, you start stirring, and then you say to organized crime, hey, what do you got? Nothing but time on your hands. Why create just this series of spam emails and out they go, phishing, spear phishing, get creative, um, you know, you, we're gonna talk a little bit about the AI impact on cyber. But yeah. wow, what a perfect storm. So you've, you've decreased the ability for people to be aware and to assess risk. Uh, you've increased the risk factors of environmental impact on them responding inappropriately to social engineering. Um, and you don't have the same level of control and protection over that machine. So what have companies done differently? They've done a terrible job. Honestly, people sent their people home with no notice, whatever machine they found around the office, they didn't set up VPN tunnels. They didn't do any other kind of tunneling or access protection. They didn't move to QuickBooks Online from QuickBooks installed. They, like so many different actions you could take moving to the cloud, you know, taking advantage of, of other access controls, um, zero trust, all of that. That didn't happen. Everybody was shut down and then they were desperately trying to respond to issues they were having around connectivity and productivity. And so even now, while we're seeing a return to business for a lot of organizations, it is, everyone is still behind the eight ball on the tech side, trying desperately just to get people effective, let alone protective. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, so much to unpack in that one. I, I, I mean, every, all these situations that you brought up, I didn't even think about it. I mean, I, I've luckily been working from home. It's just, you know, for a year and a half, it is what it is with, with CompTIA. So uh, hopefully I'm secure, but to, like you said, to the think, to think that, you know, a, an average person that goes in the office five days a week and then comes back and all of a sudden have to set up a home office. You never thought about any of that extra, extra security protection you'd have to take just to yeah, again, not, stay not secure. Not at all. And, and the, the challenge when we go through sort of the presentation is always, yeah, there's network and yeah, there's endpoints and you've got a virus checker and maybe there's a VPN tunnel. That's all great. But you opened your computer and on the whiteboard behind you is, you know, the names of your kids and their chores. Well, one of those kids' names is actually your password. So bang, somebody Zoom bombs you. They've got your password social engineered through your whiteboard that, you know, it is that simple. It is that Oh my uh, goodness. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to erase you know, everything we, on this whiteboard. Know, that's why I said That's the kind of thing that people don't think about is, is not just what are you leaving out on your desk? You know, the clean desk policies from the eighties and nineties. It's really a, a clean field of view policy. When you're working from home, you shouldn't have anything in your field of view that could compromise confidentiality or security. You shouldn't be recording things without permission. It's just, it's a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> adequately prepared. We've had a lot of people attend these and I know there have been lots and lots and lots of these, these free seminars, webinars, podcasts available. Yeah. Um, anyone who hasn't done it needs to, but still companies are struggling, I think, to make sure that their people are being kept aware and properly technologically empowered. 
Well, well said. Absolutely. So uh, really, really quickly, though, um, I, I know this maybe doesn't really apply to, you know, the business side of things, but just out of my own curiosity, are schools doing anything differently? You know, maybe with kids going back, maybe not having to homeschool, you know, for the folks that are listening right now who do have children, you know, are, are they doing, are schools doing anything differently to protect, protect the students and, and, you know, anything that could potentially get out and cause an attack? Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a real challenge, um, you know, to, to balance it out. We had a, a, a group of lawyers contact us that wanted to understand the whole range of video conferencing options for client conferences. Tell me about security. Tell me about end to end encryption. Tell me about tell me about tell me about. So we got into the details of Signal versus WhatsApp right down to Google versus Zoom. Right. Very detailed. And yeah. you know, not a lot of them have end to end encryption and a lot of them have other characteristics and challenges, and some come with defaults that are not appropriate. School boards, like everybody else, struggled. Struggled for consistency, struggled for security. It was a total surprise with a whole workforce going home and then told to connect with their students. So Google Classroom, I think, was really popular for boards of education, for teachers. There were some Zoom calls that were going on. Um, I'm not sure how much actual training was provided. Uh, we actually had contact in the summer from a school board in Canada who was looking at uh, uh, just awareness training. They were looking okay. at something that would help their teachers understand common pitfalls and move them up that sort of awareness chain. I think what you're gonna find, everyone is struggling now with how to deal with back to school. I have two kids in elementary school. My sister teaches elementary school. You know, we're, we're hearing this every day, these updates and the challenges of planning in school plus virtual. Um, I don't I don't think that boards are quite at the point yet where they're saying and for my virtual classes and teachers I need to change how they approach cybersecurity. They need to be educated differently and yes we'll train them on the tool but are we training them on how to act and what to be aware of uh, and, and I think that that's an opportunity that is being missed at the moment. We're hoping to um, have that conversation with as many boards as we can get a hold of but my gosh, they're underwater. Budgets are being stretched. Yeah. You know, for so many reasons, it's not a priority like it isn't for too many organizations. Fair. Yeah, absolutely. I hear that. Fair enough. Um, okay, so so cybersecurity attacks are becoming more sophisticated. You even talked about, and maybe not so sophisticated, but again, didn't even think of, you know, you get Zoom bombed and all of a sudden you get all your passwords behind you. But so again, attacks are becoming more sophisticated. So uh, just, just, you know, in my research, doing some, you know, doing some digging, um, looking at some definitions, not that I want to test you on your definitions. I mean, honestly, I know what you're talking about, but, but what is uh, extended detection and response or XDR and, and how can it help a company protect themselves? Yes. <laughs> I love, no, I love the question. And, um, and I, you know, I kind of, and no offense, but I wait for these. These are when I, <laughs> When I'm, when I'm on a cybersecurity panel or a call, I always wait for that first technical question um, because it, it sets up an appropriate discussion point around what cybersecurity is. Okay. And that the interviewer should know what he's talking about before. <laughs> I'm yeah, I know. It's spectacular. <laughs> so you, you'll all know at this point that I've completely set Adam up by, by you know, letting, letting him get to the technical question and then... Oh, man, my face is red. Adam. Um, yeah, look, extended detection and response is, is a technical element that says, you know what, I want to speed up my detection, I want to work for anomalous detection, I want to be able to quarantine, I want to be able to deal with threats in the quickest, most effective way possible. 
totally understand that. That is useful if you're a larger company, you've got the budget for it. Uh, if you type XDR into a search engine, any number of products are going to come up at you know, various prices. Um, it's just, uh, it, we've seen these tools, the best tools out there are not cheap. Mm -hmm. From the 20, 30, $50,000 a year up into the hundreds of thousands with hardware installations into the millions, uh, XDR is not the starting point. So yes, the, the, the takeaway from a question like that really is, know what it is. Like understand extended detection response is gonna make your security posture better, full stop. And, and it will help improve your threat response, full stop. If you're doing that, but you have no policy in place about cybersecurity, you have no compliance testing, you don't do any education for your team, you don't lock the door to your office or your server room, honest to God, <laughs> that, is, that is a bigger problem. So uh, yeah, it's, it's something that should be considered, but it doesn't come before tunneling. It doesn't come before password uh, management, minimal password requirements. Um, there are a number of other things that I think fall way ahead of that in terms of reducing the risk. Gotcha. So useful tool, just maybe step seven down the road, not, not step one. Yeah, and for sophisticated companies, they're already looking at a version of that, whether it's through a, through a dark trace, a partner that we like on the, on the anomaly detection, quarantining, and management side. It, there are some really, really effective tools out there. Yeah. Um, don't get caught up in the tool discussion. Really understand your risk and then where your biggest gaps are. Absolutely. Love that. So last, last definition I'm going to throw you. And in fact, I, after that, I'm considering just skipping this, but, but we'll stick to it. Um, zero trust networks. And, and I know you, you mentioned zero trust before, so that's why uh, we'll ask this one, but that that's the end of the definitions. <laughs> no, I love it. Um, <laughs> uh, zero trust. So zero trust is, is interesting. Um, typically in a network, you have external parties, which are always zero trust. And so you validate every interaction that you have with an external party. But everything inside the zone, inside the safe zone, um, is trusted. And so you don't revalidate every time a transaction comes through. Effectively, that's what we're talking about to sort of plain English it. The challenge that you have with zero trust is, depending on the size and complexity in your organization, the flexibility of staff in and out, of, of other people accessing the network, dropping in and out, um, is you can really... Uh, inhibit your efficiency. And this really speaks to an overall cybersecurity challenge. You have the choice of being absolutely fully secure or absolutely fully flexible. Mm -hmm. And those don't coexist as states of being unless you have an unlimited amount of money and time, maybe a time traveling machine. So <laughs> if I used to put a slide up again in front of an audience that, that was completely blank and say, Listen, I found a business that is completely cyber secure, and I want to show you a picture of their operations today. And I just leave the blank screen up. Because <laughs> right. the only way to do that is to shut off. Yeah. The most responsive, the most successful businesses are the ones who adapt, who are able to take in change, to adapt, to move, to collaborate. And by putting in complete zero trust, and especially trying to impose it on a network that wasn't built with zero trust in mind, mm. you can end up with a very costly um, inefficient solution. So having said that, with, uh, with businesses and, and industries that are very sensitive, where you have an opportunity to build a greenfield solution, okay, that means from scratch, 
to put the hardware and the systems and solution in place yourself from the beginning. If you use zero trust as your one of your security tenants, you're fine. You can actually build everything around that and make it successful and optimize the efficiency. But I just trying to like anything when you have legacy systems and you try to impose right. more current or modern philosophy uh, on top of it, you, you often get severe breakage. Gotcha. Okay. Understood. Understood. Um, okay. So, so changing a little bit here, uh, changing pace, uh, let's, you know, we're talking about data, um, you know, everything from email to banking or smartphones are really our, our main hub for our, our online lives, um, which, which makes them, I would think targets, you know, they're, they're always on and, and they're constantly, you know, connected to the near cell tower and they're constantly send, sending signals and saying, here I am, here I am. And data is being collected. Um, from what, again, what I understand is this, this leaves us sort of vulnerable and exposed and open to attacks. Um, and, and we mentioned before that these attacks are becoming a lot more sophisticated. Um, and you mentioned before it's, it's malware. Hackers can hide malware on a device or, or steal information. Um, you know, what are some of the signs? And I don't want to make this like a black hat, you know, podcast. I don't want to scare anybody, but you know, what are, what are some signs that maybe some hackers have, you know, kind of gotten into a device and, so, you know, is there, are there telltale signs? Like, how would you know? Uh, yeah, if, if they're any good, you're not going to. <laughs> okay. I mean, seriously. So, what, you know, there, there are two, real, two elements to this. One is when you're using uh, devices, be conscious of the activities you're engaging in and their risk profile. Um, I, I like to tell people, I use an online solution to order my kids lunch at school every Wednesday. And, you know, they have a sub with a drink and a piece of cheese and some carrots. Uh, and if somebody decides to hack that system and they order my kids an extra sub, I'm not really going to be upset. <laughs> That's a really low risk uh, activity for me. Right. I don't really care if my password's sophisticated. I don't really care. The payment processor is a third party, you know, where I take a little more precaution. So it's about understanding your risk. Don't put TikTok on the phone that you use to correspond with CSIS about things that you're working on to try to do and you know counterterrorism around the world that's probably a bad idea sure yeah so if you are engaging in person to person counseling as a psychiatrist or a psychologist don't use an unlocked zoom version this is i mean this is pretty basic stuff don't don't use an app on your phone through somebody that you don't know or don't trust um, don't install get kids games on your work phone there are some very simple things this is all about segmenting, understanding your risk profile and the activities you engage in uh, and, and compartmentalizing them. I've even gone so far as to recommend to some organizations that they consider where they've got home-based resources that do critical functions, pay for two pipes into the house, one pipe for their personal stuff and one pipe for the work stuff where the work stuff's just segregated, separate network, a separate access point. You don't have guests coming on you know, your 14 year old who's surfing things they probably shouldn't be is compromising your network because some gaming friend has sent them a link to click on. Okay. These are the things that when you, when you talk about whether it's devices or whether it's websites you use, you know, don't hold your secret corporate meetings on a Facebook forum as it's just common sense. Right. So yeah, things to watch for. It's like anything else, anomalous behavior. If your phone is acting weird, if apps are popping up and going away, if you're getting ads when you go on to a browser that you've never seen before, 
those are all indications that you probably need to ask a question of someone more knowledgeable than you are. Right. Absolutely. Wow. Wow. Again, like I don't want to make this a black hat conversation, but like it's <laughs> terrifying of all the things that can actually happen. So, but okay, let, let's, let's talk to actually about the good stuff here. So, so, you know, uh, at data and, and the, and the, and the access to data, it seems to be, you know, a bit of a problem. Um, and again, it's very, uh, very obtainable on the internet. Um, identity theft breaches, we hear about this all the time. Um, you know, it, the data is essentially, uh, you know, a guidebook for hackers. Again, you know, hey, I just social engineered you. Um, so this being an emerging technology podcast, uh, we talk a lot about artificial intelligence. Uh, uh, the question is, uh, you know, how are cybersecurity criminals or cyber criminals uh, using AI to their advantage? How are they collecting data? Uh, you know, how are they, how are they, again, how are they, how are they using AI to help them <laughs> commit crimes? Yeah, it really depends on the attacker. So there are a number of bad actors, right, that, that propagate um, cyber attacks. You get uh, hacktivists, right, hackers who, uh, and, and so you run in a mill hacker who's really, they're in it to prove a point or to hack someone important to, to build a reputation. Um, they're doing it for social justice. And they're gonna do whatever is sophisticated within their particular realm, their machine, their little, that's not likely where you're gonna see an application of AI, but you're gonna see incredibly innovative techniques around brute force attacks, social engineering, et cetera. Then you talk about sort of the broadest element of cyber attacks, which is really unsophisticated, low cost, mass produced criminal enterprises that say, I'm gonna send a million of these group on phishing emails out, I need a 1% hit rate and I'm gold, a half, a tenth of a percent. Right. right. Don't even need them to come back with the money. I just need them to validate their email address because that's where I'm going to send the next one from. And their friends are going to click it because it's from an email address they trust. So it is, you know, you never respond to yeah, typical tips. Um, right. But, but that's, that's just being smart in, in how you run your campaigns, not AI. We work with the AI hub in Durham at Durham College. Yep. They're a smart group of people. They innovate across the spectrum of industries. Shout out to them. Great partners, really wonderful people. We've hired one of their students. We just can't say enough about what's going on in Durham region about that stuff. But, but when you look at AI in the criminal sense, it's more likely to be employed by an organization trying to engage in industrial espionage. It's more likely to be engaged by a nation state bad actor who's got access to significant resources because this isn't just writing some program that can interpret data or skim data. We're, we're now talking about building an AI environment that is going out purpose built to influence an election. Holy Wherever, cow. Right. So now think about the scandal around elections in the U S the last, you know, five, six years and think about what they were doing around data and around manipulating the psychology of an electorate. That's where you're seeing more AI. It's not so much somebody using an algorithm like that to hack your local, your home network, or figure out your personal information. Right. Okay. So maybe this question may not make so much sense, or maybe it does. But so, but like on the flip side of that coin, how are uh, I guess companies or even individuals? Uh, well, it wouldn't be individuals, I guess. But you know, how are companies using AI to protect themselves against uh. a, a threat? Yeah, far, far more uh, interesting conversation. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, no, seriously, you think about, it's like anything, think about a sport, think, think about a hockey game. Um, your offense is just running on instinct, 
right? And they're, they're trying to be unpredictable and do all of these. So it's the opposite of machine learning, the opposite of AI. They're trying to be completely unexpected. But when you think about defense, defense is entirely about looking for patterns, looking for anomalous behavior, looking for a response that you can automate. And so when I think about cyber and I think about where AI really sits, and of course I'm on the, the, the good guy side, I'm gonna say, um, it, it's the companies and governments really sitting and saying, how can I feed enough of my data into a, an AI tool so that it can predict my behavior, look for anomalies in that, and then do auto quarantining, letting us manually then go in and release whatever functionality data, et cetera. There is a tremendous amount of work that you can do incorporating leading, bleeding edge AI into your defense structure. And this is, you know, layered defenses. This is everything you started education and assessment testing in your people and your network and you throw in something that's detecting these types of anomalies based on historical behavior patterns, that's the real value of AI in my opinion. That's amazing. No, that, that's, and what a great analogy. Again, all the research I've done, everything I've known about cybersecurity and AI, it's uh, that unpredictable behavior and you said you wanna kind of find those anomalies. I love that hockey analogy, that was great. Um, okay, so switching from AI to social engineering, we, we talked about it briefly. Um, uh, this is something in the news that, that happened recently, but uh, you know, Twitter fell victim to, to a hacker um, who used a coordinated social engineering attack uh, to compromise some of Twitter's you know, higher, highest profile accounts um, for a crypto scam. And, and anyways, the, the, the hackers ended up scamming about 120K untraceable in Bitcoin payments. Um, so for those of the listening who don't know, uh, what is social engineering and how can someone at all, if they can mitigate, you know, being social engineered, I guess, how can they protect themselves? Um, yeah, this, so this is fundamental to just about everything that we do here in our organization. You know, everybody wants to talk about bleeding edge, leading edge technology. Um, we want to talk about people and we want to talk about functions that are not in IT that impact cybersecurity. Yeah. Social engineering is really a, a range of activities. Um, where the malicious intention is acted on through human interactions. So it uses psychological manipulation to trick users into making either mistakes or giving away sensitive information, leading to gain or, or access or whatever for the, for the attacking party. Um, all kinds of examples. Uh, we've used them in the past, right from, you know, you, you wanna run a test on an organization, you walk around their offices, you drop two or three USB keys that say Jen's wedding on them, right? You see who yeah. plugs them in and then you take over their machine, right? Pop up that says you've been, you've been caught, you know, now, thanks for being a nice person. Back in, you remember all the speeches about make sure that you don't let anyone in behind you, right? To the office or to your building. Yeah, absolutely. Well, don't plug anything into your machine unless you know exactly where it came from. Right. No matter how nice you think you're being. Um, all of that, that's all, social engineering is all to do with behavior. So it's, it's looking on Facebook, it's looking you up on Google, it's figuring out where you're gonna be. We had, you know, I've, I've had examples where somebody came in to talk to, to our organization about um, helping on the sales side and said, yeah, I've got, you know, I've, I've got this great idea. And so we talked about it, he went away, came back two weeks later. And here's the story he tells. You know, Jeff, you'd be so proud of me. And I thought, this isn't gonna go well. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, you'd be saying it's a bit of a setup like we did with you earlier. <laughs> he goes, look, 
I, I was sitting here a week ago, I got this email from our president who's in South Africa saying he's, he's stuck between stops, uh, the car's broken down, his phone unfortunately is broken, uh, and he's, he's using somebody else's phone to send this, this message. He needs us to send money to a mechanic. This is the, this is the location and he, and he has to, he's in a lot of trouble and he needs some help. Well, indeed that president was in South Africa. Okay. This wasn't just a fishing campaign. This was a spear fishing campaign. This was targeted because that itinerary was published. Now, whether it was because there was an announcement about his attendance there, or he was at a conference somebody knew about, it doesn't matter how they got a hold of it. They found a way through manipulation of people wow. to the person was going to be sent the individual we were talking to an email. Hi, it's so-and-so, and this is what's going on. So the person is telling me this story. He says, you'd have been so proud of me. I knew it was a scam. I wrote back and said, aha, I know this isn't the guy. And I caught you, so stop doing this. And I said, oh, my God. What are you no, why would you reply? Oh, so, Because the email is worth more than a credit card, worth more than health information. People don't realize that a validated corporate email is worth a fortune because it gives validity to all future attacks. So you expand your capability of, of getting financial gain out of the overall attack. Unbelievable. So it's one of those things. Social engineering preys on what you do naturally because you're trusting, because you're not thinking, because you're not aware. And awareness, that's the secret to, to combating social engineering. Um, I've done some in-person class work for people. They're good, they're once a year, you know, that's, but that's not how you keep people aware. You need to have an ongoing conversation, you need to run awareness training virtually, five to 10 minutes every month, and then you need to run fishing tests, you need to run spear fishing tests, they need to randomly go out to people in your organization, there are lots of tools. We offer one, like so many do. You know, pair education, online education with compliance testing, phishing campaigns. Build your awareness. We, we, were, we were attacked. We had an attempted attack. Oh, wow. Our accounting department received an email that was the best written spear phishing email I've seen. It seemed it written very, the English was great. Everything was great. Uh, and it was asking to pay, oh, did you get the invoice? And, and you know, we were talking to Jeff, or, or no, it was for me. Could you please pay this invoice? I'm gonna forward it to you. Everything was gonna go through it. Like it was, it really looked like it was me. Holy cow. Until they sent the invoice. And then, so my team member, who'd been through our awareness training, and who's been through our compliance testing, is mousing over the, the email line and looking for, grammar and syntax errors, opens the invoice for $90,000 US. Oh my God. And texts me. And that's critical. She didn't email it to me. Yeah. She texted me and said, hey, just in case things are compromised, is this legit or isn't it? Can you help me? So we were able to catch it, shut it down. Good, if it is a smaller amount, who knows? I've seen this kind of thing over the course of my career as a CFO. Um, the smaller amounts are the ones that get through without anybody knowing, but they lead to the biggest overall financial gain. Awareness, 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 awareness. It's all about policies, procedures, education, awareness testing. That's how you protect yourself against social engineering. Love it.
Love it. Great advice. So, so Jeff, we're, we're sort of running out of time here, but um, I would be remiss if I didn't ask about, you know, your, obviously your company and, and the tools that you provide to customers and how they can, you know, protect themselves. So, so really, I know we sort of talked at the beginning, you know, your, your story, but what is, what does cybersecurity compliance do and what are the tools that you offer? And, and, and we'll, we'll get into the, the pulse solution in a minute, actually, let's just answer that first one. <laughs> so what are some tools? Yeah, we're, so Cybersecurity Compliance Corp, really, the name says what it is. That was the whole intent of naming it that way. Right. Uh, it's not a tech play. This is about running framework-based assessments, and we offer a NIST-based assessment and are launching uh, NERC, Energy Sector Assessment, and OSFI, which is the Canadian Financial Institutions. These are all frameworks that other people have spent a ton of time on. What we do with them is, is we apply plain English scoring and an easy to use uh, executive dashboard. And then we bring in best in class backend tools that are education, phishing, endpoint, and we put them in the dashboard. So you've got the assessment that's your current picture, uh, a roadmap for the future with corroborating evidence from other security related tools. Now you've got a one-stop shop, it's easy to administer. Plain English can't tell you how much the plain English makes it easy to drive alignment throughout the organization. Yeah, for sure. Our, our focus has always been bring your IT people together with your non-IT decision makers and put them in the room at a level playing field speaking the same language. You will end up with a better cybersecurity posture. I love that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and, and I know uh, the cybersecurity pulse solution. Um, one, what is it? How was it developed? Actually, why was it developed? Yeah, it was honestly because I was sitting there in a small business as a CFO taking over IT, and I couldn't get an answer to my framework-based reporting and assessment question, so I created one. So yeah. online, SaaS-based, login, um, NIST is 108 controls. It's easy to digest. It rolls up to five functions, easy to understand and action on. Um, no matter who you are, no matter what size, it's a place to get started. And, you know, with a September likely launch, we will have evidence management as well. So now if you're doing audit prep in a more sophisticated industry, you have the ability to have one repository for all of your security documents and evidence, hence the energy and financial services offering. So it, it's the, this is almost a, a starting point before you go to a consultant. Get your assessment done yourself. You know your business better than anyone else take the results to your consultant and say, I want to put the rest of my money towards remediation. That's the right answer for your organization. Fantastic. Jeff, I, I, I can't thank you enough for sitting down having a chat today. I appreciate it. I appreciate you schooling me on some of those, on some of the terms. <laughs> it, it was, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. I, I, I truly appreciate you uh, taking the time and, and, and having a talk with us today. My pleasure, Adam. Uh, you know what? We're thrilled to be a part of CompTIA. Uh, love the events, love dealing with you and your smiling face, even, even with the giggles pre and post. Uh, no, it's fantastic. Uh, really looking forward to continuing in our journey uh, with the membership. Absolutely. I love it. Uh, Jeff, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll get you on the next one for sure. You're, you're definitely part of the family now, so um, I'm sure we'll see you shortly. Great. Thanks, Adam. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the CompTIA BizTech Podcast. For more information on CompTIA membership, communities, and councils, visit comptia.org membership. If you enjoyed this podcast, the greatest compliment you can give us is subscribing, sharing, and liking the broadcast. 